Hello and welcome to Speak Female, the podcast that is on a mission to empower, coach and educate women and allies around the world to become more confident, knowledgeable and to have the opportunity to listen to real subjects they can either relate to or learn something from. This season is all about female empowerment and leadership. So at the end of each interview, I will be reading out a quote that has been selected by my guest. I'm your host, Lucy Grimwade, professional development coach, senior IT manager, and of course, podcaster. You'll now find that in between the episodes, you'll have access to five minute coaching hosted by me. If you'd like to find out more about Speak Female and coaching, you can connect with me across all social media platforms or email me coaching at lucygrimwades.com. Enjoy the episode. Today I'm joined by Jill Cook. Jill has changed careers for the third time and is now in her dream job, driving diversity and inclusion gender for 3UK. Prior to this, she worked in TV production, then in IT project management, identifying as a woman in tech. Jill also leads the networking for minorities in STEM, careers called STEM Connect, and organises panel discussions and networking events. Today, Jill joins me to discuss women in tech, diversity and inclusion, and being a working mum. Jill, welcome to Speak Female. Thank you so much for having me, Lucy. You're so welcome. So I wanted to really ask you to start off with talking about your changing career, really. It's really interesting how you went from TV production into IT project management. How did you go about that transition? So really, it's all about transferable skills. So I was in production, production management, and I moved my way up from that perspective. But it's all about budgeting, scheduling, organising, and IT project management is very, very similar. So it was very transferable skills. I was also, I suppose, lucky that people in the telecoms industry were willing to take a, a bit of a bet on me. So I think, you know, it's really important that when you go for the job opportunities that people see the capability rather than the experience. Um, and obviously I was really pleased that the person who interviewed me saw that capability rather than being a blocker of going, well, she hasn't got experience in, in IT or in telecoms. They recognized transferable skills and therefore I was able to, to take those skills. Um, and actually project and production management are not that different. That's really interesting because the reason why I asked you that question is because a lot of clients that I have talk to me about wanting to change career direction and it always seems such a daunting a daunting opportunity almost because it is that it is an opportunity and it's so just kind of picking up what you said there it's about learning what your transferable skills are is there anything else so I think absolutely you have to bring out those transferable skills um, I think the challenges that most people have now with, tran with transferring roles and jobs and, and doing career changes is um, the, the blocker is AI. So when you send your CV in, uh, they look for certain words and they look for um, certain experience. And if you don't have that experience, then you can almost fail at the first hurdle, which is, which is even getting an interview. Um, I think, you know, if you can get that interview, then you, you, you've got that face-to-face -face to convince someone of, as I said, your capability. So the real challenge is getting through 
the CV stage and that recruiter stage. And some recruiters can, again, be quite narrow in their recognition of what they're looking for. So I think there's a couple of things. So first of all, I think it's always worth looking at the company that you're applying to. And you want a company that's got a good culture, that is open to innovation and change and opportunities, and then convince them that you're the right person to do that job, despite not having um, that you know, classic experience. But I think you know, convincing them and talking about what you can bring to the table um, almost from an outside perspective. So you can bring a different view. And I think anyone who's looking for a diverse group of people or a diverse team, diversity isn't just about ethnicity or gender um, or sexuality. It's about diversity of thought and experience as well. Um, but I, as I said, the real hurdle is getting through um, and getting to that interview stage. And that's why things like networking, and <clears throat> building on relationships can sometimes be the, the key that, that helps you um, navigate through that first step. Yeah, and also networking as well. When you meet people, they get to know you, they might be hiring, they can then sometimes help open that door for you as well. And something I just also wanna pick up on what you said there as well around CVs and how, you know, it is a computer at the end of the day that picks up a CV and goes, has it got these like three keywords? So when you are applying for a job, I'm just kind of almost kind of repeating what you've said here is to make sure that you are putting the right language on that CV as well. So that's super easy just by looking at the job spec and then, and then doing that. And I like what you said there about picking the right company because you're right. Some organizations embrace diversity in that sense of experience, background, and others like, no, you need to have 15 years working in telecoms or 25 years in a senior management position, but you're only 25 yourself. And it's, yeah, I completely, completely um, like what you said there. So Jill, you then moved into being in that IT project management role and then identifying as a woman in tech. What has been your experience in that journey of being a female in a quite a male-dominated industry and, and role? Yeah, so that was interesting. So <clears throat> as I said, I've previously been in TV production, which is quite diverse. A lot more women, um, a lot more sort of diversity of sexuality and um, background, and then went into IT, which... And also it wasn't based in London. So again, it was in the suburbs. So, you know, you're obviously going to get a little bit more of um, that sort of, you know, white middle-class, uh, mainly male sort of population just because of where it's situated. Um, so that was interesting to me because that was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, and although in project management, actually you do get quite a lot of women, um, having said that in the IT side of things, and I had to learn a lot, you know, I had to really get my head around the tech side of things. Um, it was very noticeable that there was a lack of women and especially in leadership positions, having um, other than the people or the marketing team. And, you know, it is a little bit stereotypical, but it is totally true. You know, the, uh, the ratios are much higher of women in the marketing, in um, kind of comms and in the people team in HR um, and a lot less in IT. And again, 
the, the ratios are also quite wide um, in the lower um, levels um, and they get less and less uh, as they move up into leadership and, and into board level. So that was very noticeable to me. Um, I, I really basically, I suppose my eyes were opened quite widely through a, what I would now call a mentor, but I think at the time I didn't recognize as a mentor because it didn't really exist. It wasn't something that was talked about uh, back then. Um, but there was a lady who was very technical at my company. Uh, she really helped guide me. She would explain things to me in sort of layman's language. And she was very, uh, she was quite active um, as well in the sort of the women in tech field. So she created the women in tech group at, the, at, at three. Um, and I got involved and I was really sort of, you know, through her mentorship, um, became a lot more self-aware and aware of, you know, the inequalities. Um, and even though it's something probably I've been aware of for a long time, I had a very diverse background. I was brought up in Africa. Um, it was that really that, that sort of opened my eyes, especially to gender equality um, and the lack of representation um, in, in IT. So that was really my journey. And, um, and that's where it started. Is that where it started when you started to want um, to move into that kind of diversity and inclusion area? Yes. Yeah, so um, when um, so in 2018, uh, this lady left the company and she'd been leading the women in tech, which had been quite a sort of small group. Uh, we used to sort of meet and watch uh, TED talks and things like that. And, you know, we'd, we'd celebrate International Women's Day. But really beyond that, um, it was a lot of talking. But but maybe um, actually one of the things that we had managed to achieve was to um, get flexibility uh, built into the job descriptions um, as, a, as a sort of um, test and learn. So then I took over the Women in Tech group. Um, I put together a vision document. I um, approached our COO to be our exec sponsor um, and aligned up with the people team. We signed up to the Tech Talent Charter um, and we did a number of things that basically really sort of, and I also um, welcomed and widened the um, network to beyond just the tech and ops. So to include everyone. So anyone who works for a telecoms company is a woman in tech. Um, and we did try to also involve allies as well. So male allies, which is obviously really, really important. So it was a very inclusive group, although obviously it's named still women in tech. It's still, we still try to be in, in, very inclusive um, and, and welcome male allies. And one of the things as a network that we did was we also celebrated International Men's Day um, as well as International Women's Day. So that was really the start of the journey. And then while I was doing that, I wanted to network and I, I was really looking to network more widely outside of my company and increase my visibility outside of my company um, because I've, I've really sort of been quite sort of insular. Um, and so I was looking around for networking opportunities and I couldn't find anything in my local area. And I was having to go into London and as a working mom and my husband, you had, to, you know, you were obviously waiting, either had to get a babysitter or wait for your partner to get home. So it was um, a real challenge logistically to get into London. So I did that a few times. Um, but then I just thought, well, you know what, if there's nothing out there, I'll just organize my own. Um, so I did. So I, um, I created STEM Connect. The X is sort of a, a nod to women, but also for what's next. And, uh, and in line with the Women in Tech at Three, we hosted our first networking event um, and 80 people came. 
Um, so it was fantastic. And, and the advertiser um, featured us as well. So it was really the first of its kind that had happened in Maidenhead. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it was really popular. We talked about how to be, how to build a community. And from there, I created a Facebook group and a LinkedIn group. The Facebook group is a lot more active. Um, and we've gone from there. And I've now, I think I've organized about 11 events over the last two years, um, plus some workshops and some breakfast workshops. Um, and I think we've had about 900 people come through the events, maybe more because I had one just last week. Um, and it's been really successful, but obviously it's all over and above my day job. But I love doing it. I love organising events. And so this year, I think um, I've been a lot more organised through lockdown, had a lot more planning time. Um, and I think we'll run six this year. So one every two months. OK, I'm going to ask you a question now, which I absolutely hate when people ask me this question. So I'm almost cringing as I ask you this. But how do you manage kind of the day job, your kind of home life and also the networking as well? What do you put in place? Because I'm kind of more thinking about like boundaries. Obviously, you don't want to burn out. What do you do to kind of keep yourself sane? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a couple of years ago, I had a little bit of an epiphany where I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to accept that I'm not going to be perfect at everything. Um, and I think that was, you know, it's almost like a sigh of relief, you know, especially as a working parent, um, you know, whatever you do, you have guilt, whatever you do is wrong, you're either not achieving well enough in, in your work or you're, you, you know, something has to give because, you know, we can't do everything. Um, I don't, I do think that we can make it work, but we need to have that support system around us. Um, so I'm not really an advocate for this leaning in and, you know, doing everything and you can have it all. I think you can have it all as long as you have that support system around you. But I don't think everyone can have it all. I think you have to really work hard at it and put that support system in. So, you know, you've got to have a partner or a family or, you know, support system, childcare, friends who, who will help you and support you with the childcare side of things. Um, I was part time. So I've been part time for probably nine of my 11 years uh, at three. And um, I've, I've always worked um, four days over five. So I'm in every day or was in every day, uh, but I would leave um, at about three o'clock. So the children's activities would always drive that. I think a couple of things I would say is, first of all, I'm very clear on my priorities. So my family will always come first. And I'm very open about that at work um, and have always been very transparent and open and authentic at work. And, and, and I think people have respected me for that. Rather than apologising, I'll just say, well, that this is what I'm doing. I will not leave my child on the street. So I'm going to be leaving at this time, whether, it, you know, and, and I'm very open about that. Um, secondly, I do work very, very hard. And I think sometimes they say, if you've got something done, give it to a busy person. So when I'm in the office or when I'm working, I give my absolute best and I'm very good at time management. So I, I stuff a lot into a, a short period of time. So I try to be very effective with the time that I have. Um, and then, I suppose the other thing is with STEM Connect and what I try is that I do um, I do that out of hours, but I try and manage it. So, for example, I schedule, you know, posts um, and I try and plan. So if I've got like a, a weekend or something like that, I will try and plan ahead um, so that 
a lot of it is already taken into consideration. So I'm already organising events for sort of May or beyond, um, try and get them as sorted as early as possible, um, get the comms out, and then things will sort of fall into place. And because I know what I'm doing now, and I've actually found virtual networking events easier to organise, and it's within my control. Whereas when I was going to uh, locations, that was harder because I was dependent on um, companies so, um, providing location, providing food and drink and things like that. I am looking forward to getting back to face to face, but actually, from my perspective, virtual is, is easier to organise. So I think be organised, be really clear on what you can and can't do, um, have a support system and just try not to be perfect at everything. Um, and then, you know, then at least you can try and uh, you can enjoy what you can organise. And I also just give, don't try not to give myself too hard a time. Like, uh, other than letting people down, really, if I have to move an event, I can. I have to move an event. It, it, if I can't, if I haven't got the time, um, unless it's really scheduled in. But until then, if people don't know about it, it's only organised in my head, um, then I have that flexibility to move things around. So be kind to yourself is the most important thing. Yeah, and I was I was going to say something similar about being kind and also recognising that you're a human being. Like stuff happens, people happen, life happens, and you just got to be flexible. Because from what, what you were just saying there, about being organised, but also being a bit flexible too in case, you know, something happens. I wanted to ask you a question as well around... Um, there's, there's a big thing at the moment around the whole mum guilt and a girlfriend of mine talks to me about that on a regular basis um, because she's got a little little four-year-old. Um, you quite confidently just said that, you know, I've told my, my company, you know, my children are number one, that's my priority. But not everybody is that confident. Have you always been confident to kind of be like, that's my priority? Or did that kind of take some experience there? No, absolutely. So it is, it's been a journey. It's been a journey um, as it is for most of us. Um, did I have the confidence? So I, when my, when my first daughter was born, I was working for a TV company who shall remain nameless. Um, and my daughter got chickenpox and they made me take holiday to look after her um, because my, uh, we didn't have any family around. Um, and they were just so inflexible, uh, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, and I wasn't very happy with that. So I think it was sort of a number of things that sort of build your confidence. Um, I think having a good manager is really important. Having a supportive, and I say a supportive network, I actually mean that on both sides of the coin. So you need that supportive network at work as well as that supportive network at home. I think it comes with confidence, confidence in your ability to do a job, confidence and trust with, with your team or your manager um, is really, really important. And so it, it came with time, I would say. Yeah, I probably wasn't as confident when I first started. I, I started that role um, when my daughter, my second daughter was only six months old. So came out of maternity leave straight into a new job. Um, and so there was probably a lot of lack of confidence uh, in my early years. Um, I, it, it took me a long time to settle into the work. Um, and, you know, I had missed out. I wanted to have a year with my daughter because um, I knew she was going to be my last and I ended up getting a job at six months. So that I had I definitely had regrets. I definitely had moments of, of, you know, am I doing the right thing, you know, and all of that sort of thing. But 
my daughters are sort of, you know, 14 and 11 now. And when I talk to them about the past, first of all, they do not remember the fact that my first daughter went to nursery from eight in the morning until six o'clock at night. She does not remember that. And what I've made sure is that the times that they do remember, I've been there for them. So, you know, even those things. And I always try to um, attend all the events and I appreciate not everyone can. So I was always, you know, I'd be, you know, one of those parents that would take a video of someone whose whose parent wasn't there, you know, and I would say with them, do you want me to take a video? And, you know, I would do that for them because I was very aware of being a working parent that you can't be at everything. I was also very lucky that I worked locally. So my daughter's school was about five minutes walk from my work. Um, and I would do things like when we have, we had two hours off for lunch, where we were given an opportunity, it's called Wellness Wednesday, to do whatever we wanted. And I would use that time to go and do library at school so that my kids would, you know, would see me there um, and, and they would have the opportunity to come into the library. And so I had, I was able to do things like that and attend sports days and things like that, where if I had been working in London, I just wouldn't have had that opportunity. So it was that, because I was working locally, that definitely made things easier for me. Um, and I was able to walk to places and get to school very quickly. I was able to leave work literally 10 minutes, five minutes before I had to collect my children. So obviously, from a logistical perspective, that did make it a lot easier. And I appreciate not everyone has that. But I think the key thing around mum guilt or working parent guilt is just this thing of just accepting that you're not going to be perfect. And the kids are terrible. They're very good at putting that guilt on you. But really, when they're older, they, they won't forget that. They'll remember the times that you were there rather than the times that you weren't. And something I want to pick up on what you've just said as well is around that sense of community. You said, you know, if I know another mum isn't there or a parent isn't there, I'd video it. So they haven't necessarily missed out on seeing the play or the sports day. And that's something that's really kind of struck me, actually, is that kind of, again, that sense of community. And I think that spans across everything that we do, from the women in tech work to DNI to to being parents I'm not a parent but you know I can really I've got a lot of friends who have children and I always offer so uh, you know as a, as a friend who, who now also is going to work locally if they can't get back from London and I'm literally around the corner why can't I go and pick them up you know it's again it's the power of community power of friendship and I, I really like what you've said there and actually it's kind of going to stick with me for the rest of the day actually um so I want to ask you more around diversity and inclusion I know that this is you know, your dream role that you're in right now. What what kind of things are you doing in the organisation in at three for DNI? So it's really exciting at the moment, actually. So diversity inclusion is definitely on the agenda and it's hopefully on the agenda for a lot of places. Uh, a catalyst of that has definitely was Black Lives Matter last year. Um, but I think it was starting to move that wave uh, we'd already started when the gender pay gap um, was was announced and we had to companies had to start um, reporting on the gender pay gap a couple of years ago that did start this wave and I think it started with gender obviously ethnicity and race is a big big focus at the moment but really all protected characteristics so um, it's fantastic that all that companies are starting to get on the bandwagon it's a shame that it hasn't come naturally having said that We'll take whatever happens. It, 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 however, it, it, it's um, become on the agenda, we'll take that and try and move that forward. 
Um, I think there's lots of different ways that companies can do it. In our company, we've created a steering committee. So a diversity, inclusion and belonging steering committee. So we, we, we ask for volunteers, a bit like employee reps, where people volunteer and say, I'm really interested in this. I'd like to do this. And they commit to doing um, you know, so many hours over and above their day job. Obviously, their line manager has to be aligned and they can put that into their goals, etc. So we've got uh, 13 people on our diversity um, inclusion committee uh, and that we've tried to make sure that we have representation from as many of the protected characteristics as possible, as well as the functions, including retail and across the, the cross company. Um, and that's been really, really interesting. And we're very lucky in our group that we have real um, action and doers in, in the group as well. So, um, and the other thing is, I think, is that we already had employee networks. So Women in Tech was our first employee network, but then Pride was uh, created um, a year later and I helped sort of support that. And then um, at Black Lives Matter, we had some discussions internally, we had some listening posts and we had some talks that were really just like, let's talk about race, let's actually talk about it, really open. And out of that first session that we had, which was a Women in Tech group meeting, we created BAME and Allies. Um, now, I know that the BAME terminology um, is definitely being discussed at the moment, but we just felt, look, let's just call it that so that we know what it says on the tin and then we can we can brand it at a later stage. But we want to do something rather than worry about what we're called. Um, so we are in the process of rebranding all of our networks, actually. Um, but at the moment, it's BAME and allies. And so we wanted to welcome allies because it's so important that, that we move the dial together. Um, and then we've also just created an accessibility uh, group as well, looking at neurodiversity as well as disability. So all of that has sort of really helped. So we've got our networks, which is sort of from bottom up, which is our employees. Then we've got our diversity and inclusion steering committee, which has a representative of each of the networks on that steering. And then, of course, you've got the board and the reporting up. Um, and I have recently um, been successful in uh, a secondment uh, covering maternity leave um, of actually, you know, working in the people team to drive that diversity, inclusion and belonging agenda. So whereas I was on the committee, I've now stepped into the other role, which is in the people team side, which has been really interesting. So first of all, it was great because it gave an opportunity for someone else to come into the committee. Um, and because I've been also in the committees of all the employee networks, I've got that really great insight and, and, and those relationships as well. So diversity and inclusion is a journey. It's not a destination. It will take us time to get there, but we're really making some moves, which is fantastic. We've just signed up the, to the Race at Work Charter, which has got a lot, a bit like the Talent Tech Charter, has got so much resources that we can feed on. We also have um, a consultancy helping support us as well. And we've just been nominated for a Freddie Award uh, for being uh, the best steering committee. So very excited about that. Um, and we're also, um, you know, really moving around uh, capturing data. So GDPR put a little bit of a halt on capturing data for a while. A lot of companies were scared about it. Now they're all going back to data because obviously without data, without insight, it's very hard to understand where the gaps are, where the problems are. Um, and therefore, with insight, you can then set targets. And with targets, then you can really sort of uh, take action. 
So we're on that journey uh, and it is very exciting. Um, and different companies use different ways of doing things, but really you need the buy-in from the board. You need some budget. You need support. You need some people who are doers and active activists who are really passionate about change. Um, and then also you need that to be aligned with what the people team and what the roadmap is, etc. So all of those things have to come together. Um, and then you've got a machinery to actually make things happen. Um, but I have a lot of conversations with people who are just starting their journeys. Um, and there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, and, and that's how you and I really met, really, isn't it? Around that kind of beginning of the journey part. And I actually wanted to ask you, because um, it's great, all the stuff that you're doing is great, completely agree, we've talked about it before. What about the blockers? Because there's quite a lot, and I have conversations with other people around, yes, we have these ideas, we want to push forwards, etc. What are the main blockers that you're noticing from perhaps internal and external conversations? Yeah, so the, 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 the real blockers is, is, well, usually it's people and it's mindset. Um, mindset and behaviours and fear as well, actually. I would say that people are scared, uh, especially when talking about ethnicity and race. What's the right language to use? Um, you know, maybe not even wanting to recognise that there's a problem. Um, the recent, um, you know, government commission uh, wasn't helpful in any way when it says that UK doesn't have institutional racism. I don't think anyone who works in DNI um, or who is of ethnic uh, heritage or would, would, would agree with that in any way, unfortunately. Um, so that hasn't been helpful. Having said that, um, I think the real blockers are, as I said, mindset and people. So the, if you want to make any change, you, you need that sponsor. You need someone at CEO level, at board level, who is going to fight that fight and will really bang that drum um, for change. Most boards that we know, you know, have more people called Dave than they do women, um, never mind um, from different um, ethnicity backgrounds. Um, Afro-Caribbean black people are vastly underrepresented in IT. Um, and, you know, we have to recognize this. So you need to have the insight to then set the targets. And I think people are quite nervous about setting targets because there's also this danger of positive discrimination so you know you don't want you need to be employing people the right person for the job what but in order to do that you need to widen that network so a lot of people a lot of recruitment companies are quite lazy in the sense that for example if you've got a company who's in you know Royal Berkshire for example um, you know you need to widen that net and not just go to the, the population that, that is within that area. Um, and we find this with a lot of um, sort of suburban areas uh, because there's not a great representation of minorities in who live there, then the, the companies can reflect that. Um, I think with the pandemic, there's some actual real opportunities. So the fact that maybe people are not going back into the office full time gives a lot more opportunity for people to cast the, the net wider. 
um, especially if you, you can do remote working on a more regular basis. And therefore, you don't need to be looking in that direct population. So widen your net. Um, go to networks when you're recruiting um, that you know will have the population that you want to recruit. But I think it's a, it's a two, double-edged sword. So it's all very well to attract the talent, but you also need to retain the talent. So then that's why you need within the companies that inclusive culture, which also takes a lot of time. You've got a lot of barriers around mindset and behaviors, et cetera, but you need people to stay there. So you need to make sure that there's mentorship programs, that there are opportunities, um, that performance management and things like that are very diverse. They don't um, work against uh, people from different backgrounds or religions or genders, et cetera. So you need to have both of those going on at the same time. So you, you need to be looking at your, how you recruit, but you also need to look within around how you can make your culture more inclusive. People want to be able to turn up at work and be authentic. You know, people don't, in the past, when I was younger, and I'm sure, you know, um, people would wear masks at work. They maybe wouldn't be as authentic. You'd have like a separate work and, and, and personal life. I think that's gone with the pandemic. You know, we've had... Um, that camera view into people's lives you know it's much more natural if someone comes in you can have a kid sitting on your knee and still know that you are being trusted to do your job I think five ten years ago you know if you were a parent and you had to leave early you'd get that oh part-timer oh here we go again she's never here blah 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 um, and I think that hope I hope that that mindset is changing so it's, it is about that inclusive culture and being able to be your authentic self at work. And I think it's those companies that will make it and, and will continue to be successful. Companies that aren't, and there are a few companies who are already saying we're going to go back to work like as if pandemic never happened, um, they will lose people. They'll lose good talent. So it's not only about attracting diversity. You know, you, you don't really, you know, there's no point getting someone in uh, who needs a wheelchair and who needs uh, has got some really um, basic needs uh, in a company. And then, you know, you don't provide that inclusive um, accessibility within the company because that person won't stay. So you need to have the both. You need to attract well, but you also need to retain. Yeah. And I, I really like that you said about attracting and retaining. And, that, and that's part of the stuff that I've done in, in my organisations that I've worked in. Um, and, and, you know, the blockers that I've seen and, and just to kind of, you know, almost answer the question that I've given you as well is, is has been around things like people's mindset, like you say, people's kind of, they've got a bit of a fear, well, I don't know what language to use, well, go and, go and get that advice. And I think people are afraid to say, do you know what? I don't know. And it's okay for not knowing because perhaps you've been in that white man bubble for the last 25, 30 years, but it's okay to go, do you know what? I don't know. So let me use some of my budget now, some of my power I have now to bring in the right people to educate us. And it all comes back down to education, education, education. And that is definitely something that we saw with um, BLM last year. You know, a lot of the people I was speaking to, um, articles I was reading was just was basically saying, just like, go and educate yourself. And, you know, I think that there's a fear that we all need to get over of going, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. That's great. You don't want to say the wrong thing, but go and find out how to say the right thing. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, the other thing is just accepting, as you said, it's that you don't know everything. I don't know everything. I am not an expert in diversity and inclusion as much as I'd love to be, uh, but I don't have that lived experience. So what, I, what my job and my responsibility is to learn and to listen and to bring in the right experts at the, at the right time. So, for example, I'm trying to organise some language workshops. So, you know, what's the right language to use? What's the wrong language to use? That sort of thing. Just some guidance, you know, for our talent teams, etc. Um, but I don't have that lived experience. So I need to bring people in. And this is where you need budget is you need to bring people in and you need to pay them. You know, this is the thing. You, you, you know, don't if you're a big com- corporate company, don't ask people to work for free. You know, it's, if that's not fair. Um, they're trying to make a job, they're trying to, you know, have a career, and so are you. So you do need to put the money this way. And this is the biggest challenge, actually, that I think companies do have is is budget. The first thing, the first thing, the first budget that got cut during the pandemic was anything related to talent, learning, development, D&I, etc. I think that's changing now. But at the beginning, I know I was really struggling to get that budget because those were the first things that got cut, because people don't see them as necessary, unfortunately. Actually, they are absolutely necessary. And wellness and mental health are absolutely key. And and diversity inclusion is absolutely intricate to mental health, because if you can't be your authentic self at work, if you are always wearing a mask, if you feel bullied, if you are having, uh, there's someone who is really microaggressive, uh, microaggressions to you or dominating you or you know, making you feel uncomfortable, then that leads to mental ill health. And this is the thing, it's all linked up. So that's why diversity and inclusion, and more importantly, actually belonging. So, so that people feel that they can be who they want to be at work, then that actually really, really helps people enjoy being at work and therefore people will give their best they will be less burnt out they will want to be successful for the company because they feel part of that inclusive culture so it all goes hand in hand and this is why people talk about business cases and you know companies that are diverse uh, I think you know I can't remember the numbers but um, sort of certain percentages um, much more effective um, but also you're going to be much more effective as a business and make more money because if you create propositions that are representative of your customer base, then you're going to be more successful. There's just no question about that. But in order to do that, you need to have diversity within your teams. And this is, you know, and then we talk about AI and ethics and all of that sort of thing but that's a whole other probably a whole other podcast (laughs) Uh, yeah I'm I'm just going to pick up on two things really you know about being your authentic self I definitely think that I've seen that in organizations and companies I've worked in where you have your day-to-day work with somebody and then you go out for a drink with them after work and they're a completely different person and you like the person more when they're being themselves so really picking up on what you said there actually when people are being authentic you do create a bit more of a happier safer working environment as well um and I also just want to ask you around allies because I'm a big believer in allies and 
at the beginning of this podcast in my first kind of episode that I'm launching for season two I call out three amazing male allies that I have and um, in my life who've supported me with the careers that I've gone on and you know the podcast as well what are your views on on allies and why do you think they're important so allies are absolutely vital because not everyone's going to have lived experience okay so not everyone has got that lived experience we're all diverse okay that's a fact having said that just because you don't have that lived experience doesn't mean that you can't have that empathy or that understanding um, or be educated so you know one of the brilliant things about a diverse culture and the society that we live in is that we are always learning new things and understanding other people's backgrounds and their experiences and their you know their cultures and it's you know it's just fascinating and and and, and it's it's um you know it because it makes you become a better person because you 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 understand what's going on in, in other people's lives so and also the other important thing is um and if we take black lives matter as an example or we take gender equality as an example it's not the woman's job it's not black people's job to get equality if it was we would have had equality a long time ago it's not their job they'd love it to, well, whether it's their job or not it's it's impossible the the minority cannot give themselves equality it's the majority that has to bring them on that journey because there needs to be people need to give let go of a little bit of power in order to give it out to a wider audience um, it doesn't mean that we want to bring anyone down so feminism is not about man hating supporting black lives matter is not about hating white people it's not at all it's about bringing everyone together and having a level playing field and offering those opportunities for everyone um, we talk about equality it's equity is the sort of the key word so for example um you know it's not everyone will have this will, will need the same support or steps to get on onto the job ladder or to have career progression but equity is enabling everyone to have the same opportunities for each up for themselves so they may not get the job because they're not right for the job but as long as they've had the opportunity to get through that interview process and actually get the opportunity to sit in front of the the hiring manager um, and tell them and, and 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 have and have that interview then that that opportunity has been open to them the challenge that we have is that people aren't getting there and they're not having those opportunities through whatever, whether it's discrimination, whether it's AI, whether it's bias, and sometimes it's not even conscious, um, but it's it's there and it's inherent and it's 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 insipid in every single thing that we do and it is systematic. Um, and I think we, that's what we can't ignore. We have to accept it and recognize it and then we can change it. The challenge is when we when people don't don't realize that there is a problem so that's why you need allies you need allies who are in positions of power you need sponsors who will go you know what i agree and i will talk i will give you a voice so my responsibility as a white person is to ensure that i listen that i learn that i educate myself but also that i give people a voice at every opportunity who maybe would not have had that voice in a room so, you know, I will try and make sure that people are heard. 
and I'm not perfect at it. I make mistakes, but at least I'm trying and, and that's all I can do. Um, so I try to be the best ally that I can. Lovely. I'm, I'm just, I've completely just kind of melted into what you were just saying there because it's, I completely agree with you. I'm so on the same page. Before we wrap up the podcast today, is there anything else that you would like to share or, or kind of any parting advice you'd like to give anybody who's perhaps looking to build DNI in their organisation? So absolutely. So I think, um, you know, talk to people. Um, if you, whether it's for DNI or whether it's for anything in your career, look for a mentor. Uh, a mentor and sponsors are really, really important. Um, we were talking earlier, Lucy, about asking. Don't be afraid to ask because generally people want to help. Not always, but generally people want to help. And if, if you ask, you can only get told no, but you, you more often than not, you'll be said, you'll, be, you'll get a yes. Or you might even get a maybe or not yet, but maybe sometime soon. So ask and ask for help. And whether that's from DNI experts or whether that's from a mentor or whatever it is, just ask because there's no harm in doing that. And I know that takes a level of confidence, but actually you build confidence through, through trying. So by asking and you get a success, then that will give you more confidence another time, etc. Um, so always ask. And I think, you know, generally within the DNI arena, everyone is so helpful and really does want to help there's lots of Facebook groups there's loads of opportunities in LinkedIn connect with people ask for help ask for questions um, and a lot of people will give that time not necessarily for free and you know at some point you need to invest and you need to go to a consultant or ask for help but until then and you just want to get a little bit of advice um, then yeah just just ask that question and most people even on LinkedIn, or you just, you know, make that connection, they will be willing to talk to you if they can. Thank you, Jill. And thank you for joining me today on Speak Female. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in today. In summary, Jill and I have talked about career transition, diversity and inclusion, challenges and blockers, and of course, the working mum guilt. It would be great if you could subscribe if you haven't done so already. Share Speak Female across your networks and also leave a review. This helps spread the message to more people. The more people we can reach, the better. Check out the podcast notes where you can find my email address as well as contact details for Jill and how you can sign up to the newsletter coaching hub. And in the words of Maya Angelou, success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. See you next time.